So welcome everyone to Embodying Your Higher Self, Tools for Living Consciously. And today is a very special podcast. Dear friend of mine, Lisa, who is um, a registered nurse, has um, agreed to come on the show and share her 30 years of experience working in um, the psychiatric ward of many hospitals in the USA. Um, and so welcome, Lisa. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's been 30 years. It doesn't feel like 30 years, but it has been 30 years. <laughs> wow, what a, what a journey it's been, yes? You've learned and seen so much, I imagine, for uh, the work that you do. And, and wow, it's incredible. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, here we go. Here we go. It's working. Okay, so um, so can you can you tell me what is your like what is your profession? Start with uh, identifying who oh. you are and what your profession is. Uh, I'm a registered nurse, and I've worked for thirty years in the psychiatric specialty of hospital nursing. Wow. Okay. 30 years, that's a long time. So in, um, I'm sure in those 30 years, you've probably seen um, and experienced so much with the, with the patients in the, in the psych psychiatric ward of the hospital, yeah? And um, yeah. so I guess the question for, you know, because I'm writing this book, you're not crazy, you're just psychic. It's really all about the idea that, you know, so many people have been labeled as as mentally ill or crazy and they've been put into these you know mental hospitals or psychiatric wards and in your experience um, working as a registered nurse in that in the 30 years you've been doing this work what would you say is is the reality like what is the percentage of people that maybe are not crazy or mentally ill like what you know just giving a guesstimate what would you say <clears throat> well, well, I'm going to um, answer the question in a roundabout way. Okay. <clears throat> uh, so the issue actually comes more around to a, a more of a cultural theme, and I don't mean just a super cultural theme. I just mean a strong sort of Christian, uh, could be other types of religions to believe that there are very rigid rules about how people need to behave and how people need to think. And if anybody's outside of those rules, um, from a very young age, uh, people are, are fearful um, mm -hmm. of, of doing anything that's outside of the norm. And one of the things that, that people are predictively um, afraid of is not being normal and not fitting in to whatever the norms and you think about the typical school systems and cultural systems and especially uh, in my lifetime where I grew up where um, uh, you know the rules are very rigid uh, you know I'm supposed to be pretty get married, have children, I'm not that smart because I'm a woman, and uh, all that kind of stuff. So um, there's, 
there's a lot of very strict rules that have improved over the years, and certainly mental health has improved too. But the problem is um, that in more indigenous cultures and in other now not looked at very much cultures, um, hearing voices uh, is considered a very terrible thing. So if a person uh, you know, around the ages of 16 or whenever starts hearing voices in uh, a, um, in a culture that's more animistic or other types, which aren't very many of them uh, now, um, their, their system might say, that's great, that is so exciting, you're hearing, you know, um, you know, uh, uh, the great spirit or whatever, and this is wonderful, and so it's tr they're treated with honor and respect, and uh, somebody who grows up in a system like that, which is not happening these days, then they may um, be able to feel good, good in their rational minds about experience they're having which isn't necessarily rational and be an honored part of the society and therefore the voices that they're hearing could indeed be helpful and provide wisdom um, um, for for their culture uh, um, but what typically happens in in our culture today is that a person hears voices and and they feel how scared the parents are, rejecting um, people are um, about that, and that something's wrong, and that they're sick, and so their rational minds say something is terribly wrong, and that's all fear-based stuff. So the voices that they might have been able to move into a uh, beneficial world uh, are moved into a sick and scary world mm -hmm. and um, mm -hmm. that's the kind of people that we see in the hospital wow yeah that makes end total of, sense yes end of the long talk <laughs> mm -hmm. no that's great yeah. no I, I think that's a really great explanation and it really is a cultural difference because if you know, like when, you know, as you know, I lived in, in Bali for 19 years and, and it is a very animistic culture and the, you know, the Balinese people, um, they often just, you know, become possessed by spirits. Uh, they go into trance and this is, uh, this is accepted in that society, right? It's really part of the society. They consider it a, a spiritual blessing or gift. Uh, that people yeah. can go into trance and uh, channel other um, spiritual beings, um, if, you know, for lack of another name. So yeah, it is, it is really seen in a very different way. Um, and I think in Western culture, I, I definitely believe that people are, there's a lot more fear around the mystical side of, of people and there, there is a lack of understanding and there's an ignorance, and with ignorance comes great fear. And so, like when you when you look at the people you've worked with uh, in the hospital, I mean, I know it's hard to quantify, but just if you were to guess, 
how many people are, are really maybe having a mystical or spiritual experience versus how many people are actually really mentally ill? Do you have any sense of that? Do you have any sense of a kind of percentage there? Well, the first uh, thing these days uh, that we encounter with this whole type of question is that so many folks who um, may have started um, hearing voices or having an opportunity to connect in a different way um, choose to go down the road, road of taking drugs and becoming drug addicts. So a huge percentage of the public hospital where I work at um, is really people who might have had something at some time, but now they're destroyed by drugs. Oh, okay. So there's not there's not, not that many folks, but there definitely are who um, like it's not a mixed most most folks it's a mixed situation, mm. you know where they've got. Um, they may have had something going on, but everything is distorted by the drugs. Right, right. You know, meth and these other drugs that are really horrible and destructive. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's it's hard to say. And also, we uh, in the hospital have very strict behavior patterns that we have to follow as nurses. Mm -hmm. And so even if I do have beliefs um, about potential or, um, you know, amazed by what I see, I, I'm not allowed to say anything. I don't want to lose my job. Oh, wow. Wow. So it's very, very controlled is what you're saying. Very controlled. It's all about farm. It's all about um, farm. Oh, say that That's again. The only you, you, thing you, that's you, at. You, it's all about pharmaceuticals. Right. Okay. It's all profits. In a, a big, in a big globe, it's all a profit-driven situation. But most people don't see it that way. They see it, you know, that they're helping, helping. That word, helping, is kind of a interesting word. They're helping people quote get better by taking a large selection of drugs. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, I, um, you know, I recently been helping uh, a friend of mine whose daughter um, just checked herself into a mental health facility or whatever you call it, uh, and um, because she was, you know, of course, hearing voices and also her behavior did become aggressive, so there was something going on. But my, my friend, who is actually an incredible uh, medicine woman in her own right, had such an amazing perspective on it all and told me that, Michelle, you know, I've, I've had these conversations with my daughter where she was in such a place of divinity, you know, like the clarity and the purity that was coming through was just so beautiful. Uh, it's, so it's a very you know, interesting thing. And then of course they put her in the hospital or she put herself in the hospital and, and they put her on drugs immediately. And then, um, I started doing some spiritual work on, on the daughter in a distance way. And, uh, right. and the daughter started to get better. And then now she's checked out of the hospital, um, and realized right. like, I don't want to even label myself as bipolar or label myself as mentally ill. I am 
having a spiritual initiation is what the daughter says about her own um, so-called mental health issues. So uh, really beautiful. Very, and, and having a mother like my friend um, who is really supporting her is giving her the strength to move through this and um, potentially get off all medications. So I know it is possible. Um, luckily, she didn't succumb to any kind of drug addiction because that would have really complicated things. But yeah, um, so there, there is an example right there that I know that this is, there is a spiritual experience. And in the case with this daughter, there was an ancestral curse. And it was very, very powerful. And I went to my friend's home to clear it. And uh, it was a in pretty intense situation. And that was uh, the day after her daughter checked out of the mental hospital. So yeah, pretty, well, pretty amazing. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the, the psychiatric system is, uh, you know, the parts that aren't good, it's just the same as the rest of the medical system. It's very one-sided and rigid yeah you know and so there you have to go to other places i found the name okay the the name of the person is uh, esther hicks oh okay great and she channels a, a, a thing uh, i don't know if she's still active anymore a entity called abraham yes yes i've heard of her for sure awesome. have you heard of her yeah. yes mm -hmm. yes i have and so she 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 says that in her in her things. Oh, she about, she's the one that says, "Great, you're hearing voices." Oh, okay, <laughs> which I is love the first it. First time I ever heard that. Oddly oh, enough, which is quite a while ago now. I will definitely check her out, and um, uh -huh. yeah, I appreciate you sharing that uh, that uh, tip for us. And so, um, I guess. You know, I'm just wondering what else I'd like to, where else I'd like to go. Like in your life, have you ever experienced a place of uh, breakdown, so to speak, where you felt like you were going through some sort of a nervous breakdown or, or a spiritual uh, dark night of the soul? Have you ever had anything like that happen to you, Lisa? Well, it's interesting because I've gone through different phases in my life. So as a teenager, I was... I really believed with no particular uh, support anywhere that uh, the sort of the spiritual capacity of humans, et cetera, but I didn't have any, you know, uh, support for that idea. So I just had that idea. And then that sort of dissipated uh, into the 30s. And then I went through a phase where I didn't, I decided that there wasn't any of that stuff at all and that none, none of it was true at all, although I had to keep reminding myself of that in retrospect because I think underneath I didn't really believe it. Wow. <laughs> and then after that, uh, um, I had the, the spiritual and physical crisis of my cancer, and that's a great opportunity uh, for, for big change, which I did. That's when I had the big changes and got back into the really seriously into the spirituality again. Yes. Which is what I had thought all along, or felt all along, is really the right word, and um, and that uh, feels much more congruent than now oh. than it did before. I mean, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, is that what you mean? Yeah, I mean, well, I think you know, if 
we all go through a kind of spiritual often it's some people call it the dark night of the soul i know i've i've gone through that and i think with your with your experience with cancer i definitely imagine that you touch those places of of really like not knowing you know whether you're going to live or die is is a place of true spiritual crisis yeah absolutely yeah. well it's definitely a motivating force <laughs> yeah uh, absolutely, absolutely, and uh, I, uh, I, you know, I've been in places, you know, I personally have been in places of not being totally uh, mentally balanced, I guess, I don't know how to put it, where I've gone into depression, and I've gone into uh, a dark night of the soul, and uh, at one point I did get medicated, and it didn't help me at all, and for me, the times that have been the most beneficial for me is when I've actually gone to a shaman or a healer and help who have helped me to shift the depression and I know a lot of people don't think of those alternative methods but um, for me that's worked that's worked the best and I know that you also when you were um, when you had cancer you were getting Reiki treatments and you were doing some alternative therapies as well so yeah yeah that, that was the most effective was the uh, although it was hard for me to believe it at the time, but um, that uh, I could heal myself. Right. I think was the big, you know, because I had a lot of um, core beliefs, and still do to a certain extent, surrounding um, uh, uh, my value, basically. Mm. Right. Yeah. Right. And uh, when when I historically when I think when I have thought about those core beliefs in, in the old way which would be in many different ways of having no value um, then that affects the body and then that affects and that creates illness or change your core beliefs mm. then you change um, your level of health absolutely absolutely it's all connected for sure and um, yeah, I work. I work a lot with clients now, helping them to change their core beliefs, helping them to ch get out of the story that they've been telling themselves. Right? Because we all have a story, <laughs> and we believe that story so strongly. You know, yep. we don't want to let go of the damn story because it's how we've identified uh, we ourselves. And, but the story is who we are, you know, and, and there's no way, you know, we're, you're going to convince me otherwise. And then that story uh -huh. is what has kept people, you know, incarcerated in prison. And, uh, yeah, it's really, uh, really interesting to see that and how, how people's minds work, you know. And I, I think you're, you're very, you know, obviously with your expertise, you probably hear a lot of stories in your line of work as well. Do you, do you have a story that you'd love to share like that? It could be humorous, it could be otherwise, but uh, a story about somebody's story, that would be interesting. <laughs> I don't know if you do, if something comes to mind. But, but, I, 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 not, but I, what I do wanna say, what has happened over the years is um, because, because of the system that I work in, yeah. because of it's a very, it used to be different, but now it's a very task-driven system, you know, where you, you have a certain amount of tasks you have to get done in a day. And 
I've become, and this is sad, but I've actually become remarkably uninterested in people's stories. Right. Maybe it's not sad, because the stories have no value. They have right. no value to why they're there or what they need to, what they might choose to do to make their situations better. So I actually have an aversion to hearing people's stories <laughs> because it just, it just like digs them in the hole. It doesn't, yes. it doesn't do anything. Yeah. What I do like to do if I can is um, to like, because the stories are, are a low vibrational experience for everybody. Um, but the but I, what I try to do is distraction and create lightness or higher vibration, and I can't quite explain how I might do that. But if I intuitively feel that the situation is there, then I'll I'll I will help create it. Oh. Like sometimes people really like to hear stories themselves. Like people who are suffering like to hear stories. Yes. So sometimes I can tell like a brief story, you know, in a neutral, not neutral, but in a more elevating way about something that happened or some, what somebody did or something like that, but more like in a light way. And um, that that would be more than a story. So, I mean, can you imagine how many stories I've heard? Yes, yeah, I know. <laughs> thousands, probably. Thousands and thousands. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I hear you, I hear you, and I, I, I often, when I'm treating people, when I have clients, I tell them, this will be the last time you tell this story. I say that to them, uh -huh. because the more you keep telling the story, the more you keep stuck in the past, and you, you're never going to move beyond and move into the greatness and the lightness of who you truly are. If you stay in the story, you stay stuck. And, you know, sometimes people will hear that and they get it, but a lot of times they still just want to keep saying this, you know, telling the story. And I'm like, why? You know, why do you want to keep telling the story? But it's, it's almost like this, yeah, it's a victim mentality. It's like they are comforted by being the victim, you know, and... Uh, yeah. It's their identity. What happens if they don't if they don't have their identity anymore? Then their then their their fear is that they'll be lost, and that lost feeling is kind of scary. Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely agree. Um, I do have a story that I will tell. Uh, there is one story okay. that is a funny. It's kind of a funny story, and it always comes to mind because it's like when I kind of started off as a healer, and I didn't know exactly what I was doing. And this woman came to me because she had voices in her head and it, they were telling her horrible things like you're a piece of shit and all these terrible things and I want you to die. And she was terrified, right? Because she kept hearing these voices and I said, okay, I'll, I'll try to help you. And uh, so she came in, we did a healing session and uh, I think she had entities. I cleared some entities and I did some other things. And then I was working in Penang in Malaysia 
and a Penang is a is like in Georgetown is an island off of uh, Malaysia, and uh, so she I was working at a center I can't remember the name of it and she came back you know maybe two or three days later I was still working there, as a visiting uh, practitioner, and I said how are you doing and she said, I don't I'm not I'm not okay and I said well what what's wrong, and she says the voices are gone. <laughs> But isn't, isn't, isn't that good? I don't know. I feel really strange now because the voices are gone. Yes. And that was when I realized in that moment, oh, my God, people hold on to their condition because that's what they've become accustomed to. That's how they've identified themselves. And that was when the light bulb moment happened. That's when it happened in that moment. Yes. <laughs> It could be that she did. It could be that she did. But, um, but yeah, I think back to the, you know, what you said earlier about how the pharmaceutical industry, you know, it really has become, you know, they call it big pharma. And it's a kind of mafia, you know, in many ways, you know, keeping people uh, in this cycle, never-ending cycle of dependency on pharmaceuticals. And... Um, and if you break free, you're very, very lucky because a lot of these, you know, and I'm, granted, I'm not um, as well-versed in this at all by any stretch of the imagination as you are, but um, from what I understand, you know, these uh, antidepressants and other, um, other medications for mental health, um, they're known to have what's called what SRIs, which are very hard to wean yourself off of. I don't know if you can elaborate on that a bit more if you you know with your knowledge of that but that's what I've been told they're they're basically made to keep people going on this hamster wheel of medications right um, well and we'll put a kick in in the positive view so you know when people who come into the hospital even though they they don't know anything else most likely I mean they're coming there for help and um, the medicines do help them. Like it's not an all negative thing. They, right. That they they will help them have their voices get go away. They'll help them. Although manic people don't always like it very much, will make them, you know, not high anymore. They'll help the drug addicts, you know, stabilize. Like they they are not all a bad thing. They're just like anything. They're neither good nor bad. They just are. Right. And, um, and so there they are for people to use if they choose to. Um, and so anytime uh, somebody wants to get off medications, which a lot of folks do, especially the young people, will test the limits, which is understandable, you know, and go off and then get into trouble and come back into the hospital. Mm. Um, or hopefully, I mean, people die. I mean, it's, you know, in this, in that world, there are people, people die. They, they don't make it and they don't come back again. They kill themselves. They get into accidents. You know, a lot of, a lot of bad things happen. Right, right. Um, so, like, weaning off 
a medicine is like weaning off an entire lifestyle or weaning off an entire philosophy. And what are you going to put in its place? It's not, not like the society, especially if you don't have money because you can't work because of all the things that are happening. What are your options? Right. Especially with the, it's, it, with the pressures, you know, the social pressures that you're not normal and there's something wrong with you. Mm, yeah, yeah, exactly. It is, it is difficult. I, I mean, I do know, I have one friend, her brother, um, who I also want to interview, he, um, he did the, you know, the spiritual alternative route, and, it, and he did, you know, ayahuasca ceremonies, and he did all kinds of alternative treatments to get off of the, uh, his antidepressants, or I think he was on bipolar meds, and I think he even made a documentary about his journey, um, which I'd be happy to share with you. I think you might, if I have to search for it, but I think you would quite enjoy it. And um, yeah, it was not easy. To, to wean off of it and like you said he had to find another lifestyle another way of being and um, it wasn't easy it took I think it, it took a good year I think at least to get his life back on track so yeah and I, I don't know what kind of rehabilitation programs there are out there for people that do want to make that choice like my friend's daughter and like my friend's brother that they don't want to choose to be on meds for the rest of their life, that they really want to find a way to overcome this um, and, and really come back to a place of oneness again and wholeness. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, are, are there any rehabilitation programs that are out there for people that do want to do that? I don't know. Uh, legally, they couldn't exist in the United States. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I doubt it. I think there'd be too many, they'd be too prone to lawsuits and pharmaceutical attacks. And I don't mean that as a, like, a, an unrealistic thing, but, um, you know, the pharmaceutical companies are after their own interests. So if they hear people curing folks from cancer or curing folks from mental illness, they're going to, you know, sue them or do different things to make them go away. Yeah. So they would have to. It would have to be outside of the United States, yeah. and probably outside of the European Union too. Yeah, I believe so, he was getting treatment in Costa Rica. Yeah, I believe yeah. it was uh, outside of the United States. And uh, but my friend's daughter, obviously, she's she's in the U.S., so she's dealing with the system there. Uh, yeah, that's such a shame. Yeah, it is such a shame that it is like it is what it is in the U.S. and. Uh, but it is a reality. Um, I do know that um, there is a whole new wave now with psychedelics, um, and uh, people are getting uh, certified and trained into using psychedelic therapy as a way to treat depression and other mental health illnesses, and with great success. Um, and that's apparently, I think it is legal in the U.S. now, but I don't know. I don't know um, how how that industry is growing and how how long that will be allowed. <laughs> you know, it makes me wonder: Will there be some intervention in allowing that to continue? You know, in the USA? Yeah. Yeah, probably uh, because it still exists. Um, there's some sort of uh, corporate plan to make money off of it. That's my guess. Ah. Okay. So. Uh, 
otherwise it probably wouldn't exist anymore. <laughs> I'm so jaded. <laughs> you are, you are, but so, it's true. Um, it's all about the money, isn't it? It's like if we can make money off of it, we'll allow it. And if we can't, forget it, you know? <laughs> well, think about, I mean, people who are smarter than Donald Trump, right? Yes. Running, you know, most of the people that, that get to, to the top of these big corporations, you know, have some sociopathic tendencies. That's That's how it is. Right? Absolutely. So, you know, it's it's not like there's nice people up there, you know, playing hopscotch. They're, you know, serious manipulators of systems. Absolutely. You know, uh, so it's nobody's, I mean, I'm sure there's people that, you know, love their families and all of that stuff. But, you know, it's not, it, it's generally probably not a very nice world. No. And decisions that are made are not what other people might say are nice. I know. Um, so as far as the pharmaceuticals, I mean, as far as the hallucinogenics go, again, you get into the, this whole problem with the ego. So if you destroy somebody's ego, not through microdosing, but through more big trips, if you destroy yeah. somebody's ego because they see all this stuff, that can cause a lot of confusion for a while. Um, right. It can cause some elation, and it can cause a lot of confusion. And what the human brain does is then it creates new ego views. Mm. So it, it doesn't necessarily, it depends, like, on the support system and, and the things surrounding that person. But it doesn't necessarily make things better in the long run because the brain, the irrational part of the brain, is just going to put something else in there. Mm. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so I'm, I'm not saying that it's it's a bad thing. I'm just saying, because I don't think it is, and I think that um, for depression, the uh, hallucinogenics are, are, are probably, depending on the uh, environment, um, a really good thing, but because um, it takes people out of these repetitive negative thinking patterns and gives them the opportunity to think differently, which then changes the chemistry, right? Absolutely. I'm not so sure, yeah, I'm not so sure about sort of schizophrenia and the bipolar right. that, that, and hallucinogenics because it's a ton of, a, I mean, schizophrenia is about basically being hallucinating all the time. Ah, uh, right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like being on a trip all the time. In fact, that's what my friend told me. He's bipolar. Uh, uh, and then when she's high in the bipolar phase, then it's also like being on a trip. Yeah. So, but as far as like, like depression goes, I can see it, you know, having the potential to be really effective. Yeah. Well, I can only speak from my own experience of treating, you know, um, myself with microdosing and initially, you know, starting off with a more uh, macro dose experience, a, a stronger experience of, uh, you know, like three, three grams of mushrooms and uh, that kind of blasting things out, but then um, yes. the needing to create or solidify the new neural pathways, uh, you know, after that is really important. So that's why I continued with the micro dosing because once those, you know, neural pathways have been disrupted. Uh, the old ways of uh -huh. thinking, the old stories that were 
uh, feeding into the depression have been disrupted and now I guess I guess a good way to put it is like they've been they've been diverted and you know you're now moving in a, in a new more positive direction and then so you don't revert back to those old ways of thinking that's where the microdose comes in uh, to help right. maintain the new neural pathways and for me that has worked and that actually has I can see how my mind and my thought patterns have really uh, drastically changed as a result of doing mm -hmm. that. So yeah, for the depression, it's really, really helpful, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure there's data out there uh, that I haven't read. There's also a lot of data out there, which I've just skimmed over through discussions with my naturopath and whatnot, um, not from the hospital, about various kinds of amino acids and other things um, that um, can be helpful for bipolar and other things. Because when you get right down to it, it's really just about chemical interactions in the right. body. And it yeah. could be that certain types of mental illness um, are just deficiencies. Um, right. But then how do you know what deficiency it is? And not just like a vitamin D deficiency, but we're talking like much more specific, um, you know, chemistry pathways that mm -hmm. I can't reiterate, um, that when they're replaced, uh, it's um, for sure in early schizophrenia, but later schizophrenia, there, there's documentation of lots of brain damage, although is the brain damage due to the actual disease, or is the brain damage due to incredibly poor diets and lots of toxic medications? Yeah, those are good questions, and I also once heard that um, and I don't know if you have any information on this, that, that when the gut is, is not healthy, um, that, that there's a connection between that and depression and other uh, mental health illnesses. And that kind of makes sense to me because if we're, you know, if our biomes and everything is out of, are out of balance, again, going back to what you said about the chemical reactions in our body, like what kind of chemical reactions is that causing in our brain, in our consciousness? It's very, uh, it's something to definitely think about, for sure. Correct. Uh, so most of your neurochemicals are actually made in your gut. Right. And, and most Americans have um, guts that are, quote, messed up. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, so there you have it. Yeah. Most of the American foods that are eaten are actually bad for your gut. Wow, wow. Very interesting. Because when you think about what what is the you know what are the natural things from six generations ago or five generations ago that our bodies are actually designed to consume and, and, and what we're consuming now, it's pretty dramatic. Absolutely, yeah, very dramatic, very dramatic. Um, and uh, yeah, I look I look at my own gut issues that I've had over the years because I lived in uh, Indonesia where everything was fried. And uh, for 19 years, I was ingesting lots of fried food, and then it created a lot of issues. And then I finally uh, got an ultrasound and found out that I had fat on my liver. And I was really surprised, but then again, I wasn't surprised because I hadn't been eating really totally healthy food. And so once uh, that was identified and, um, and addressed, and I did use uh, regular allopathic medicine 
uh, I decided to go that route because the alternative methods weren't working and I um, was able to heal it. And uh, lo and behold, um, after healing that problem, my IBS uh, issues went away. So yeah, the gut is linked to so much, you know, or the liver, the gut, all of this is, uh, plays such an important role. And it also makes me realize how the liver being out of balance, you know, how that affected me in an emotional way, how I would be maybe quick to get irritated or, you know, you know, maybe more easy to get angry and not realizing that it was because of this fatty liver issue, you know? So, so which came first, the chicken or the egg? Yeah, exactly. You know, it just makes me, it makes you realize how everything is interconnected, mind, body, and spirit, and we can't, you know, isolate one thing and say this is the problem for everything. It just doesn't work that way. It really just doesn't, you know? No, and both you and I in our little, in our little big crises had to make big changes. Yes, yes. To, um, to, to help heal ourselves. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm going to... So thank you so much, Lisa, for coming on Embodying Your Higher Self, uh, Tools for Living Consciously. I know that I loved everything you shared. I thought it was fascinating. I'm sure that my all the listeners of the show um, will really enjoy this information. And um, if anybody is interested to be a part of the book that I am writing... It's called You're Not Crazy, You're Just Psychic. Please get in touch with me, Michelle, at um, mchimpaka, C-E-M-P-A-K-A, at gmail.com. I'll also write it in uh, the, the podcast description. And uh, I'd love to hear your story. I'd love for you to be a part of the book. Um, unfortunately, there's no financial remuneration re re because... As you probably all know, writers don't get paid very much mostly, but it would be a way for you to make a difference for other people out there that have been told they're crazy and, and um, been labeled and been ostracized for their mental health issues. I really want to bring to light that perhaps you're not crazy, you're just psychic, or you are just who you are and you have gifts that maybe people don't understand. Um, so please get in touch with me. You can also reach out to me via my website at www.spiritweaverjourneys.com. And um, thank you so much for your support. You can also buy me a cup of coffee if you want to support me um, because I do not receive anything for this podcast, so that would really help me out. And uh, follow me and like this podcast. Um, and I really appreciate all your support. Thank you so much, Lisa, for being on the show today. Thank you. That was fun to talk with you, uh, as usual. Wonderful. Awesome. Goodbye, everyone. Good night and good morning, wherever you are. And sending you all so much love.